Colossians, Paul prays that believers would please God fully. If you're falling short in that area, don't get discouraged. Get to know God more deeply. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares what it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God and bearing fruit in a wide variety of important areas. From Christ Above All, here's David to introduce today's message, Wisdom and Understanding. Well, today we're going to study a prayer that Paul uh, prayed on behalf of the Colossian believers. And I need to tell you, this is very interesting for me because this passage of Scripture is one of the first passages of Scripture that I ever preached from as a young preacher. I got enamored with this prayer and how Paul prayed for the Colossians that certain things would happen for them, and I preached a sermon on it. And I've never forgotten the things I learned then and continue to learn about the importance of wisdom and understanding. Paul didn't just pray that the Colossians would be saved. He wanted them to be more than that. He wanted them to be mature and uh, be pleasing to the Lord. And uh, we're going to learn about that prayer today and tomorrow here on Turning Point. I'm so glad you joined us. We're going to have a good time studying this portion of the first chapter of Colossians. And this is a series on the book of Colossians, brand new, never been on the air before. Uh, I preached on Colossians way, way back when I was just getting started as a preacher, and it kind of intimidated me for a long time, to be honest. It's a very philosophical, uh, heady book. And I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out because I haven't, but um, it was time for me to preach it, and I did recently. We decided to put all of it in a book so that it would be uh, preserving uh, the truth of this book for those who want to continue to study it. And you can get a copy of the book, Christ Above All. It's 288 pages. It's a hardback book, great for a library. And all you have to do is send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August, a gift of any size. You determine before God what that gift is. And then when you send a gift, be sure to say, please send me the book on Colossians. Please send me Christ Above All, and we'll do it. And then if you want to add some more resources to this, you can get the study guide and the CD and DVD package from davidjeremiah.org. Just go there, and it will lay it all out for you so you know what to do. It's a great book to study in a small group study. I hope many of you will take time to study the book of Colossians with your friends. Right now, it's time for us to get back into the book itself. So here's part one of Wisdom and Understanding, the Prayer of Paul in Colossians 1, 9-14. Almost 60 years ago, a young missionary named Raymond Edmund staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle, desperately ill. He'll be dead by morning the doctor predicted. Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black so it would be ready for the funeral because in the tropics you have to get buried right after you die, and she wanted to be proper for his funeral. However, thousands of miles away, a friend of Raymond Edmund's by the name of Joseph Evans interrupted a prayer meeting he was attending and just out of nowhere said, I feel we must pray for Raymond Edmund in Ecuador right now. And the group prayed earnestly until Evans, who was leading the group, cried out, praise the Lord, the victory is won. And the rest is the oft-repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered, and he went on to become the president of Wheaton College and served for another 40 years in his life. 
This story tells us about the power of intercessory prayer, praying for other people. Quite simply, intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of others. And intercessory prayer is not just a special talent that God gives to super-Christians. God has called all of us to be interceding for others, to praying for others. I would imagine this week you prayed for somebody, maybe somebody who's got COVID, somebody who's sick. You interceded for them, you prayed for them, you asked God to help them, to heal them. What a wonderful and exalted privilege we have to be able to come boldly before the throne of Almighty God with our prayers and our intercession. So in verses 9 through 14 of Colossians 1, Paul gives us a model for our intercessory prayers as he prays for the Colossian believers. If you were Paul, what would you have prayed for? Paul prayed for the strength and growth and development and endurance and all of the things we're going to study. First of all, we notice about his prayer that he was very persistent, the persistence of Paul's prayer, verse 9. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers was tireless. If I've got this figured out right, by the time he wrote this letter, he could have been praying for them for nearly 10 years. He never ceased praying for them, just like Jesus taught. You know, Jesus taught us to be tireless in our prayers in numerous places. For instance, he told a parable once about a neighbor asking for bread at midnight. And the unprepared host asks his neighbor for bread repeatedly, despite the fact that the man explains that he and his family are already in bed and basically said, go away and leave me alone. In a later parable, a woman receives justice from an unjust judge only after persistent petitions. Jesus concludes in his teaching that God will be far more willing to bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. God honors persistent prayer. And the Bible says Jesus told this parable to teach his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. John Wesley once put it this way, storm the throne of grace and persevere there and mercy will come down. How many of you have started to pray for someone or something that was out of perspective? Maybe somebody you know had gotten into a sinful relationship or somebody who was going through a trial and you pray for a little bit and God doesn't do anything, so you quit. Isn't it easy to do that? We are so instantaneous. Everything is right now. You know, we pray, and if it doesn't happen the next day, we figure God must not be listening, and so we go on to something else. But the Bible says we should always pray and never stop until God does what we ask him to do. You say, well, what if he doesn't? That's not your problem. Your problem is to pray and keep asking and keep asking all the time. My teacher at Dallas Seminary was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. I remember one day I came to class, and he made the announcement that his father had become a Christian. His father was very old, and Howard Hendricks had been praying for him for over 50 years, every single day. And his father finally accepted Christ before he died. It's always too soon to quit, folks. What Paul is teaching us here is, you may not get the answer you want, but remember, God lives outside of time. God isn't affected by time. And if he tells us to pray, and always to pray, and never give up praying, that's what we should do. And Paul's a great example. He'd been praying for the Colossian believers for 10 long years. 
Now notice what his petition was. What was he praying for? What was he saying to God that he wanted God to do for these Colossians? Verse 9 says it this way. I pray, God, that you might fill up these people with your knowledge in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's a mouthful, and it is so wonderful if we understand it. Paul's prayer for the Colossians actually goes back to verse 3 of chapter 1, where Paul says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And his prayer continues all the way to verse 14. In reality, there's only one petition in this prayer, and it's here in the ninth verse. What did he pray for? He prayed that the Colossian believers, and he prayed for us in the process, that we might be filled with knowledge. And the word for knowledge is the Greek word epignosis, which conveys the idea of a full and complete and accurate knowledge. In other words, knowledge of the truth. And this knowledge that Paul desires for the Colossians has two qualities. Listen carefully. It is to be knowledge that contains wisdom and understanding. Someone has defined wisdom as knowledge using its head. To have knowledge with wisdom is to be able to perform what you know. How many of you know there are a lot of people who know a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to use it? Wisdom is knowledge using its head. Understanding is a synonym for wisdom. It describes the ability to use your knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough just for us to know the Bible. We need to know how the Bible works, how it functions, how it works in our lives, how we apply it to our lives. Have you ever noticed that knowledge doesn't always translate into wisdom and understanding? I mean, I once heard an intellectual described like this. He has so many degrees, he no longer has a temperature. (laughs) You ever hear anybody like that? Sometimes really smart people have a difficulty navigating the simplicities of everyday life. Stories abound. I recently read an article that asked readers to report the dumbest thing that the smartest person they know ever did. It's quite a read. One person reported, my brother-in-law is a pretty clever guy. But one day he started a bath for his kid and couldn't get the water to turn off. In panic, he called a plumber asking him to come quickly or the house was going to flood. And his plumber friend simply said, you could just pull the plug. (laughs) Duh. Another guy wrote, my brother has a Ph.D. in bioengineering. We were on a call one day, and he was saying, I can't find my phone. Probably my kids took it. He didn't realize where his phone was until I told him he was using it to talk to me. (laughs) And finally, my dad's an actuary, basically a cross between a mathematician and an economist. I came home many years ago to hear a video game blaring. That was odd. I went downstairs to find him playing the game with headphones on. But the headphones were unplugged, and he had the sound turned up on the speakers because he couldn't hear it over the headphones. (laughs) To top it off, he had the headphones on backwards. And that's just the beginning. And you know, when we say that, we have to admit, we've all done something stupid. I was reminded this week, and when we first moved here, our family was young, and we had gone to the fair in Del Mar and had all our children with us. And all of a sudden, I turned to Don, and I said, where's Jennifer? She said, she's on your shoulders. So, you know, I'm not making fun of anybody else. I'm saying sometimes what we know doesn't always translate into how we live. One may have intellectual attainments. One may have a store of learning without being wise. 
There are learned fools and there are ignorant fools. In the knowledge of God's will, both wisdom and insight are required. So Paul is praying for these Colossians. And he's saying, I want you to be filled with knowledge, but I want it to be knowledge that works, knowledge that makes a difference in your life. So that's the petition of his prayer. Now, Paul is a master communicator, and he is a motivational communicator. In these next few words, Paul is going to motivate the Colossians to be an answer to his prayer. He's going to talk to them about the things that will happen to them if they are filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We call this the possibilities of Paul's prayers. The argument of the passage is concluded with Paul's lofty presentation of the things that can happen to us when we are filled with the knowledge of God. There are five things here. If you're taking notes, you can just write them down. These five things follow if we are filled with the knowledge of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Here's the first one. We can please God continuously. Notice verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Listen to what Paul is praying. I am praying for you that you will be filled with knowledge that contains wisdom and understanding, that you will ably walk worthy of the Lord and please him all the time. The idea of a worthy walk is found in three other pieces of Paul's writings. Ephesians 4.1 speaks of the prisoner of the Lord beseeching you to walk worthy of his calling. Philippians 1.27 says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. What does it mean to fully please the Lord? That's something that we can translate into the everyday language of our life. Paul says you can live your life in such a way that you know that what you're doing is fully pleasing to the Lord, that he is pleased with your life. The worthy walk is defined by Paul as a walk that pleases God. When we study the word of God, we develop an understanding of what pleases God. This knowledge enables us to walk worthy of the Lord by putting it in practice. Listen to me. Here's the principle. The better we know the Lord, the better we know what pleases the Lord. Have you ever had somebody tell you they're going to do something they don't think God cares? And you know, well, if you read the Bible, you'd know better than that. If you read the Bible, you know what pleases the Lord. And what you're about to do is not pleasing to the Lord. None of us as Christians want to go out and deliberately displease the Lord. But we do it. Sometimes we do it because we don't know enough about what the Lord is like that we know how to please him. When we started our first church back in Fort Wayne, we built a little house right across the street from the church. During those early days, we had no staff at the church, and I worked a lot of hours every day. On one occasion that I have never forgotten, Don and I had a dinner appointment with some friends, and we had hired a babysitter, and I told Donna I had an appointment late in the afternoon and that I would be home just in time for us to make our dinner date, and she should be sure to be ready because it would be close. It was wintertime in Fort Wayne. Wintertime in Fort Wayne was bitter, and it was very cold. And I had just gotten the heater in the car fired up as I pulled into the driveway of our little house, and I beeped the horn of my car. I thought she would pop out the front door, get in the car, and we'd be on our way. 
But that did not happen. I waited, and finally I couldn't wait any longer, and I finally went into the house to check out what was going on. She was ready, all right, sitting on the couch in the living room with her winter coat all buttoned up and her scarf around her neck and her arms folded across her chest, and she just looked at me and said something like, I don't do beeps. I don't respond to beeps. Now, I learned that day what I had just done did not please my wife. And I could give you a list of things over the long time we've been married, but I'm just going to give you this one. You'll have to think about the others. And you know, it's been almost 50 years since that happened, and I've never done that again. Not one time. I've never done that again. Because you see, the better you know somebody, the better you know what pleases them. Do you get it? That's knowing God and knowing your wife. Both work the better you know someone. So Paul said, I want you to know God with all wisdom and understanding so that you can know how to please him. So that every day as you get up in the morning, you know what to do and how to live in such a way as to please God. You can't know how to please God if you don't know God, if you don't know who he is and what he is and who his character is. So the first characteristic of that kind of a life is you can please God continuously. Here's the second thing Paul tells us. You can produce fruit constantly, verse 10. He says you can be fruitful in every good work. Now, we're to bear fruit in every good work. That means we're to be productive as Christians. We're to do what God calls us to do. We're to produce. We're to be difference makers in our world. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, what does it mean to be fruitful? Well, if you read your Bible, there are five New Testament examples of fruit bearing where the word fruit is actually used in the text. I'm going to give them to you. There's a little paradigm that I put together that helps me remember them. First of all, fruit is character. It's what you are. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If any of those things are true in your life as a Christian, and some of them should be, perhaps all of them should be, that means you're being fruitful. You're being fruitful in your character. And then if you keep reading in the New Testament, you come to Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, and you discover that fruit is not only character, what you are, it's conduct, what you do. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. Paul told the Romans that by their holy living and their conduct, They were being fruitful. Fruitfulness is not just who you are. It's what you do. And the third one is conversation. This is getting a little closer to where all of us live. Fruit is character, what you are. It's conduct, what you do. And it's conversation, what you say. Hebrews 13, 15 puts it this way, a rather quaint statement. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now watch this. That is the fruit of our lips. Did you know that what you say and the words that come from your mouth, that's being fruitful. And the words that are used here in Hebrews are in the context of praise and worship. So that when you come to church and you sing praise to God, that's being fruitful. That's an evidence of fruitfulness in your life. When you sing in the choir and you lead others in praise, that's a fruitfulness in your life. And we're building this little picture here that fruit is character what you are. It's conduct what you do. 
It's conversation, what you say. Here's one every Baptist preacher likes. It's contributions, what you give. (laughs) Now, I'm not making this up. Listen to Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, Paul wrote, but I seek fruit to abound to your account. In other words, when Paul was writing to the Philippians, he said, I'm really glad that you sent me a gift to help me in my ministry. He worked a little bit on his own, but he needed support of the people. But then he went on to say, I'm not as glad that I got the gift as I am to know that because you gave it, it put fruit in your account. You are fruitful in your giving. Now, the picture is growing. It's what you are. It's what you do. It's what you say. It's what you give. And finally, fruit is converts who you win. In other words, if you win people to Jesus Christ, that's being fruitful. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And Romans 1.13 says, Paul writing, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. And then he said, that I might have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul said, I want to come and preach here because if I come, some people are going to hear and they're going to get saved and that'll be fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is if you're a Christian, you help other people become Christians and you become fruitful. I remember having the opportunity to lead a man to Christ back when we lived in Fort Wayne. I have to tell you, this man was one of my favorite people of all time. He was the biggest man I ever knew. He was 6'9 and he weighed over 300 pounds. I baptized him and learned the lesson of water displacement in the baptistry. (laughs) This man's name was Gene McCoy, and he was my wonderful friend. I led him to Christ. It was a wonderful experience. His wife became a Christian, his children. One night at 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from him. And when I picked up the phone, he said, Pastor? I said, yeah. He said, this is Gene McCoy. Congratulations, you're a grandfather. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's true, you're a grandfather. I tried to think about that for a few moments, and then he said, you know, you led me to Christ a few months ago. Today, I led a young lady to Christ, and since you're my spiritual father, I guess that makes you her spiritual grandfather. (laughs) Well, that kind of a strange way of explaining it. God doesn't have any grandchildren, obviously. God only has children. But when you lead someone to Christ, and they lead someone to Christ, you end up being their spiritual grandparents. When we are Christians and we produce ourselves in the lives of other people, if you've ever led anybody to Christ, whether it's your children or your friends or maybe your spouse, that's an evidence of being fruitful. So let's go back and just for a moment review. What does it mean to be producing fruit constantly? Paul said, if you're filled with knowledge and wisdom, here's one of the things that will happen. You'll become a fruitful Christian. It will be who you are and what you do and what you say and what you give, and who you win. Well, that's a pretty good outline, isn't it? You can imagine how excited I would have been uh, with pieces of that outline as a young preacher. And uh, it's never gotten any better. It's just what the Word of God says. And what it says is that when we're filled with wisdom and understanding, we'll be fruitful Christians in so many different ways. Part two of this tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. Uh, This is the study of the book of Colossians. We've called it Christ Above All. We're just in the early stages of the study, so you've jumped in here at a good place. 
And this is a wonderful New Testament book written by the Apostle Paul, a letter that he wrote to a church to which he had never uh, been present. And it was a letter written to help them sort out the false doctrine that had impacted the church. And because of Paul's friend, Epaphras, who came to visit him while he was in prison in Rome, Paul couldn't go to Colossae, but he wrote this letter. We know it as Colossians. It helped them, and it's helped people ever since, to sort out how we make sure to stay true to the gospel as it is meant to be understood. And uh, this is a very important book. I'm glad you're joining us for the journey. We'll be back tomorrow on this good station with uh, part two of Wisdom and Understanding from Colossians chapter one. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good day. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Christ Above All, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. The late Paul Harvey was a well-known voice on the radio for decades prior to his death in 2009. And often his observations made lots of biblical sense. For instance, he once observed that Christians have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. 
Let me ask in this brief moment, are you thinking about evangelism today? I mean, it's so easy to pass scores of people in a busy day without thinking whether they know Jesus Christ or not. Wherever you are in your day right now, renew your own commitment to sharing the good news of the gospel. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's burden for those who haven't heard on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.